Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 6, Episode 19, The Changeling. Not at all what I thought this was going to be about. No. Okay, what no. Did, Okay. so what did you think this was going to be about with an episode title of The, the Changeling? Um, well... Usually, well, usually the historical, I shouldn't say historical because you know all the historical things, but usually like the stuff that comes out about the changeling, it's swapping something, you know, like Mm -hmm. swapping out a person and kind of gaslighting everybody of like, no, 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 this is the same person. This is, everything is fine kind of a situation. So I thought Mm -hmm. it was going to be something like that. But then when the episode started, I thought that it was going to be that Teal's symbiote was maturing. Oh, okay. And making him hallucinate and do all sorts of funky stuff. Okay, okay, yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Didn't turn out to be that either. No. No. (laughs) None of those things. No, none none Mm -hmm. of the above. None of those things happened. Yeah. For me, this is another one of my absolute favorites from this season I think it's just it's so different and so interesting and it almost reaches the level of abyss where it's just a good episode of tv like not even necessarily stargate this is just good tv for me it was good I have questions though so we'll get into it okay all right well should we get into it so then we can get into your questions and hopefully there will be answers yes please Okay, so this episode originally aired on February 28th, 2003. It was written by Christopher Judge and directed by Martin Wood. And on the commentary, we have Christopher Judge and Martin Wood. So yeah, so did you notice that Chris wrote this episode? Does that help explain some things? No, I did not notice that. Um, But it's funny that you had asked, like on more than one occasion, like, does it affect the surprise of the episode if you see the guest star's name? Mm Mm-hmm. And I totally had that thing where I saw a Michael Shanks, special guest appearance by Michael Shanks. And I was like, oh, there he is. And so once he <laughs> appeared, I was like, here you are. But it yeah. wasn't it wasn't a surprise. Like, oh, my God, he's here. Yeah, it wasn't really in the sort of plot twisty kind of way that. And he also appeared as Dr. Daniel Jackson. Different doctor, but still doctor, which I thought was I great. Know. I did like it. He was I think he was the only character in the hallucination whose full name was addressed. I think everybody else was like a nickname or not called their full name or rank. He was the only one that was Dr. Daniel Jackson. Yes. And I yeah. feel like that was a distinction. Yes. Oh, I, I, I totally jumped over the summary. Okay. So in this episode, Tilk mysteriously begins to lose his sense of reality, haunted by visions of an alternate existence where he is a normal human being. As his paranoia deepens, Tilk must rely on the help and comfort of his old friend, Daniel Jackson, to determine where his dreams end and his reality begins. What? Yes. Um, so first one fact in the commentary, this was Chris's first time seeing the fully finished episode. So there was a lot really? of he was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like, yeah, like he just had never like sat down to watch this episode after it was done being shot. So oh. so he wrote it, but he did not have a hand in any of the production. He didn't not like they did have discussion. <laughs> <laughs> like he wasn't like. He wasn't directing it, but there were definitely discussions like um, one of the things they talk about in the commentary is the decision to to try and help link the two dream worlds together and tie them together more. When he's in the dream SGC, he doesn't have like the tilk paint on like he's not gold and he doesn't have the eyeliner on Mm -hmm. because he doesn't have that in the like fireman dream world so there there were like production discussions and things like that but you know because he has to go on and film the next episode so he just had never gotten the opportunity to sit down and watch it Mm. so uh can we then assume that our question has been answered of is the eyeliner and gold uh that we have come to know and love and talk about so much is it a Tilk choice, not a Jaffa choice? I think so. They do talk about that at the end a little bit, which I can say for when we get there. 
Oh, okay. About that, so. All right. Okay, so this episode starts in a hospital, and we're following various people through the halls, and we end up in one of the ORs where we see two people waiting for surgery. The camera finally pans around to reveal that one of the patients is Tilk, and then the camera turns around, and the doctor who's about to operate is Apophis, and his, like, eyes glow and everything, and it's spooky. So you already know it's weird. Yes. Tilk then wakes up in some kind of sleeping quarters, like not his like SGC bunk. He's definitely in a different place. Uh, You can kind of tell that because there are other people in the room in the background. And so it looks like a bigger room. Yes. Uh, He goes to splash water on his face after like waking up from this sort of dream nightmare situation. And then Jonas comes in behind him and as Tilt like brings his hands down off his face, we see he doesn't have his little forehead symbol. So, What's going on? Also, he calls Jonas Proby. This is weird. So the only time I ever heard anybody referred to a Proby is when I would watch NCIS. I don't know if that's like a normal thing that new people get called. Yeah, it's like, is it an actual thing or is it just a TV thing? I don't know. Um, but so you know, Jonas tries like talk to Tilk about what's going on and apparently has something to do with Tilk's stepdad is kind of stressing him out. But Tilk reassures Jonas he's just fine and to go back to sleep. And we then cut to Tilk in Kelno Reem in his quarters on base. And he kind of like wakes up from that look down at his stomach and like his, his pouch is still there. And he's it's like, is everything fine? I don't know. It's weird. What's going on? Something is weird. Who is wearing what? Yes. So we come back from the credits and Sam is in the commentary grabbing some snacks when Tilk finds her and he was apparently unable to complete his Kelno Ream, which while it does happen, it is very rare. Sam offers him some more milk, which he rejects with, I would prefer not to consume bovine lactose at any temperature. Even though just a few episodes, he was like scarfing down ice cream like it was nobody's business. And got very upset at Jack for trying to take his ice cream. Remember? After that's Prometheus. True. Yeah. So yeah. Like, hmm. You know what? That's well, I mean, that wasn't just straight up drinking milk, though. That's true. But it is still bovine lactose. Because it's that's ice cream. True. So. That's true. Uh, so Zam just then goes, tea? Because, <laughs> you know, awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sam thinks what might be going on is stress and anticipation. In anticipation of their upcoming mission, which has something to do with the rebel Jaffa and the camera like pans around Tilk and Sam kind of fades out a bit. And as we reach the other side of Tilk, we cut to a firehouse where Captain Sam Carter is talking with T and Chief O'Neill. I got to say the transitions in this episode are fantastic. They are pretty good, yeah. Yeah, the, it's one of the things they talked about extensively in the commentary where there's no, there's not really special effects. There, It was all sort of done with like locked off cameras and like repeating the same camera movement and then like, you know, blending those in post, but they weren't like green screens and stuff like, and like digital effects really going on with this. It was really just making sure shots lined up in the right way that you could transition smoothly between them in the edit. Right, so, and strategically moving Teal'c out of frame so that you can yeah. bring him back into frame looking different. Yes, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, um, it was well done. Yes. So this thing with T's stepdad, who he calls Bray, is that T is going to be giving him a kidney. And everyone keeps commenting on how worried T must be about going through this, and he continues to insist that he's fine. And then Jonas comes back to tell them that breakfast is ready. And as they get ready to eat, the alarm goes off and everyone starts gearing up. Uh, commentary fun fact, the first guy down the fire pole is Amanda Tapping's real life husband. <gasps> really? Yep. No, he got mm-hmm. to ride the fire pole. He did. And they, 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 they talked about here, like, this was just like a super fun day getting like to ride around in like fire trucks and everything. Like everybody has had so much fun because this is the kind of stuff they don't get to do on this show. And it was like being even like filming, like on a location like that isn't something they normally do. And it was like, yeah, it's something different and fun. And yeah. So was Amanda Tapping's husband, like, he just so happened to be there that day, or he is also a, a TV guy in some capacity? I 
don't think he's a TV guy. Um, there's some other family stuff coming up, which I'll let you know about. I think it was just come hang out and have fun kind of thing. Ride the fire pole. You want to slide down a fire pole? Who's going to say no to that? I would never say no to that. No. no. Never. Nope. Uh, so as they're heading out, we learn that the alarm is due to a head-on collision between two cars, one of which is leaking gas, and Sam's like, we'll be there in five. So they get on scene, and we see a man and a boy trapped in one of the cars. The other driver looks to have been thrown from his vehicle and is, like, laying face down on the road. Sam and Jonas head to check on the trapped man and boy, and apparently the little boy is Chris's son. Aww. And uh, T goes to check on the other guy with some of the other firemen. Like, it's chaos. Everybody's doing, like, what they're supposed to do, like, securing the scene, trying to get everybody out. Uh, the little boy is re- responsive. He's injured, but he's responsive. Unfortunately, his dad seems to be dead, which is, hmm, that's rough. Uh, T and a couple of the other firefighters get the other guy sort of stabilized enough and, like, roll him over. And it's Apophis again. What? T startles back, and then when the camera looks back, it's not Apophis. It's just another guy. So, huh, again, something weird's going on. Uh, the car that was leaking gas is actually on fire now. So Jack yells for everyone to get away. They were able to get the little boy out of the car before that happened. So that's good. As T looks to that car that's on fire, the dad has turned into Braytac. And T rushes over to try and get him out. But Braytac just yells at him to save himself. And he, like, goes to, like, smash the windshield with his elbow, but then the car explodes, and he's thrown across the road, and back at the SGC, tilt collapses in the commissary, and Sam calls for a medical team. Yeah, the transitions are pretty cool. Yes. Because now I'm replaying them back in my head, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that was pretty neat. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, in the infirmary, Tilk seems fine, despite the fact that Jaffa don't faint, and he tries to insist, I didn't faint, and they're like, yes, you did, medically, that, that that's what happened. So it is, you know, strange, but he's not in any pain, everything seems to be fine, he seems to be okay, and he wants to leave, but Fraser's like, considering this isn't something that normally happens to you, I'm going to run some more tests. So Good just call. sit here, relax, and then... Possibly one of the smoothest transitions where Razor puts her hand like on his forehead to cover the symbol as he like lays his head back down and then the camera pans back out and the hand comes away and he doesn't because it's T who's in the hospital and Jack is there and T starts going on about how Bray was in the car. So apparently Bray Tack is Bray in this universe. Jack assures him it wasn't Bray. He's two floors up waiting for his new kid kidney. He does ask about the guy that was in the car, and Jack's like, no, he, he, was, he was dead before we even got there. There's, sorry, that couldn't have saved him. And Jack mentions that the doctors want to postpone the surgery for a day or two because, you know, he got thrown a quite a distance from an explosion. Uh, but T continues to insist that he's fine. He's Okay, maybe he's got a bit of a headache, so Jack goes to find him some painkillers. Uh, out in the hall, Jack runs into Bray, who is in a wheelchair being pushed by Shauna, a.k.a. Shawnock, who she was the one who, like, thought she could talk to her symbiote who turned into Tanith. Yeah, it took me a while to remember where she was from. Like, I knew she was obviously significant because she was there, but it took me a while to place where we had seen her before because I thought it was interesting that it was her and not one of the actresses that played Tilk's wife. Oh, yeah, Dreyak, yeah. Yeah. Like, where's where's Ryak? Right, yeah. I wasn't Tilk's son in this vision world thing. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Jack and Bray rib each other for a little bit before Shauna sends Bray ahead to go check on T. And Shauna and Jack talk in the hall a bit about how T is doing. Shauna's worried because he's been talking in his sleep. And, like, this has just got to be, like, stress about the transplant, right? And Jack's like, of course. I mean, this is a very, you know, heavy and significant thing that T is doing. But he happens to know one of the resident psychologists in this hospital. And he'll get that guy to go and talk to T and see if they can figure some things out. So I thought it was very interesting that they included part of the dream sequence that Tilk was not in. Oh, yeah. I never really, I don't know why I never thought about that. Yeah. But yeah, because I guess it's, it might just be his subconscious mind knowing these people care for him. Maybe, but I thought, I thought that that was 
very, very interesting that it wasn't like where his mind was taking him. It was it was places where he wasn't even present. Yes, that is interesting now that you mentioned that. Huh. Interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, okay, so back inside the hospital room, T and Shauna are kissing because they're apparently together here in this universe. Okay, and I have to say that was, like, the most terrible on-screen kiss ever. It was, it was awful. It was it so was bad. Awkward. It was awkward. It was terrible. I'm sorry. It was awful. When it's awkward and painful to watch you, it's bad. I know. It's like, sorry. I love you, Chris. I love you, um, you said, uh, but, oh, that no, was terrible. That was you should have just kissed each other on the cheek. It would have been yes. better. Or just done like one quick, oh my god, I'm so happy you're okay. Yeah. Not or this at least like pseudo hug. Or yeah. Just, no, it was bad. It was painful. Yeah, sorry. I was embarrassed for you. A little bit, yes. <laughs> uh, Bray ends up scolding Tilk a bit for being stupid with trying to rescue the guy he thought was Bray. And we apparently Bray used to also be a fireman, we learn here. Uh, mm-hmm. But the only important thing to Shauna is that T is okay. And Bray kind of becomes becomes concerned about that because why isn't T injured? Why isn't he burned anywhere from when the car exploded in his face? Like he got thrown across the road and all he has is a headache. That's worrying. It is very worrying. I liked uh, that as a little in, a little thing of his Tilk's own brain telling him something was off. Yes. Yeah. Very interesting. They did also start to talk here in the commentary about how the the actors had to keep being reminded not to be their SGC characters because they've been them for so long. They just sort of kept falling into really sort of like the speech patterns that those people talk, especially like Braytech and Tilk, who have very specific way of speaking things. Mm-hmm. Like even if maybe the the words that are written aren't words that those characters would usually say, there's still that habit of, the sort of the ebb and flow of how you say words as that character and right. Martin Martin Wood had to keep being you're not Braytac stop being Braytac you're not Braytac here yeah Let's stop it so and like apparently like even Amanda even though her Sam is fairly close to the like the SGC Sam she still kept being too much SGC too Sam she kept being too Sammy. Yeah. So they were just falling into the cadence. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So from there, Tilk wakes up in the infirmary and we see Jack is there now with Dr. Frazier to make sure he's all good. Apparently he was fast asleep and dreaming, which is not something that Jaffa do. So Tilk is a little confused and he, he you know, explains that in Kel Noreen, he has full control over his subconscious, unconscious mind. He's never... He's always aware in some fashion, but he's good to go as soon as Frazier double checks on Junior, just to make sure Junior's okay. And she draws the curtain closed, and then it's opened again. This is my favorite transition. This is my favorite transition. And That's even in the, yeah, in the commentary, Chris was like, "Whoa!" Like he'd he'd like. But hold on, before you get there, I really love the line of when they were talking about how Tilk was dreaming, and he doesn't really do that. And Jack was just like, and he was saying, "Oh, it was so real." And Jack was just like, "I love that one that happens." Like. <laughs> It's like, like is, he, is he talking about what I think he's talking about? <laughs> is, 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 did, did Jack, like, go there? <laughs> it was brilliantly said. Yes. All right, continue. Right. Okay, so Frazier pulls the curtain closed. It is pulled back open by Dr. Daniel Jackson. Oh, and there he is. The, everyone in the audience just went, there you are. There you are. So he, this Dr. Daniel Jackson is the resident psychologist that Jack knows, and he's there to talk to T about whatever might be on his mind. And T seems sure that they've met before, and he even calls him Daniel Jackson at first before he's like, just Daniel's fine. Uh, but Daniel's like, nope, we've never met. Well, maybe in another life. Who knows? <laughs> Any- <laughs> uh, anywho, Daniel suggests they take a walk so that they can just talk about whatever. So, turns out Bray isn't actually technically T's stepdad. Uh, that's just what he calls him because he Bray raised T after T's own father passed away. And Daniel agrees that what T is doing for Bray is a really amazing thing. But maybe he's worried about, or sorry, 
But Daniel's worried that T might not be coping with it as well as he insists he is. Like he had a full on hallucination yesterday and has been having nightmares. And Daniel just wants to make sure that T knows that this is a big deal and is ready to cope with how his life is going to change after the operation. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm going to be fine. I'm the healthiest man you've ever seen. Uh, (laughs) She's like, I mean, you're not wrong, but also you're losing a kidney, you know. And but, you know, until T can really come to terms with what's going on, Daniel will put a stop to the operation if he thinks that's necessary. So T's got some stuff to think about. Daniel's running late for his next appointment. So T heads back to his room and sort of walks uh, like there's a path that's like lined with bushes. And as he passes behind some of the bushes, he then walks into the gate room and the gate is dialed. The rest of SG-1 is waiting for him. They're ready to go. Just waiting for Tilk. Tilk walks up the ramp. He's looking a little confused, like, what's happening? Uh, yeah, where goes, am I? Who is this? What's going yeah. on? Yeah. Up the ramp, through the gate, and then exit in a hall back in the hospital. And Tilk wanders for a bit, eventually finds Apophis in a room in all his robed glory, and Martin Wood points out this is like Apophis's original costume from Children of the Gods, because that's sort of where Tilk's mind has gone back to that original meeting thing. Right. Yeah. So, uh, And so Apophis tells Tilk that he's afraid to die because he knows that Apophis will be waiting for him in the afterlife. And he's like, who are you? To which Apophis gives the standard, I am your God response. And he screams, no. No. And, uh, a nurse played by Chris's girlfriend, no. uh, then comes in and is like, are you okay, sir? And then as the camera sort of switches around, we see he's actually standing in a room that's got, you know, some older men in various hospital beds. And he's like, uh, no, sorry, I'm just, I'm in the wrong room. It's fine. He leaves. The nurse kind of tries to go after him, but he starts like running through the halls and he comes to a door that's like an emergency exit that says, you know, do not open on it and then as he turns around Apophis is there again but dressed as the surgeon like from the beginning this time and he's like you cannot escape your fate Shola ha! Uh, T turns pushes through that door and is back in the gate room again and do you know do you want to know how they did this transition I would love to know how they did this transition they just took the door that was on the hospital set and put it in the gate room <laughs> There you go. And then the thing that helps sell it is they have somebody else from the hospital, like, walk in front of the camera after they've, like, moved it to the the SGC set. So you're like, well, obviously they can't be in the SGC because there's a random, like, doctor walking through the hall and then opens the door. But no, there they are in the gate room. Oh. So, again, practical effects. Practical effects. Yeah, it's almost like theater stuff. It's neat. It is. Yeah. And the other the other thing Martin mentioned is like one of the other things he wanted to do with this is there's a lot of really long takes. Like you don't get a lot of like even when you have two people in a scene, you don't get a lot of that back and forth, like shooting over the shoulder stuff. Stuff is framed in a way where you can like walk with them and then just sort of sit the camera and like let the actors just do the thing. I like that. Also, yeah, I like that too. And it, it again helps sell the this isn't the usual Stargate because this isn't how Stargate episodes are usually shot. So it again lends this slightly something's weird here feeling. Yeah. Well, it also lends a better way to transition of like if of the misdirection of you're watching yes. these two over here. So then all of a sudden something is weird where the camera is. Yes. And you can turn it around. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just Martin Wood gives like all the I don't know how he didn't win something for directing this episode because it's amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. very, very good. Yeah. So anyway, so they're back in the gate room and it's sort of back to that scene that was before where like the gate styled, everybody's just waiting for Tilk. They're ready to go, like Braytac's waiting, but Tilk's like, some something's wrong. He's like definitely something is going wrong now. And then he says he must have taken it. It's like, who took what? What's going on? He then starts sort of like unzipping his jacket, pulling up his shirt. Jack tells the gate to sh- the tech to shut down the gate. And Tilk starts yelling, my symbiote is gone. Like hysterically shouting that his symbiote is gone. Collapses on the floor. Jack yells for a medical team. 
We then cut to another planet where there has been a, a massacre. Basically, there's dead Jaffa everywhere. Tilk and Braytax seem to be the only ones left alive. Tilk reaches into Braytax's pouch, removes his symbiote, and puts it in his own pouch. And this is the reality. This is what's actually happening. And we finally see it. So here's my where my questions come in then is, okay, so okay. we finally see the reality that Tilk is consciously taking the symbiote and putting it back and forth. Yes. So there's... So then we get that seemingly one of the hallucinations, the Stargate world is happening when he has, the, at least in my mind, I pictured like, okay, if they, if there's two hallucinations, I'm guessing one of them is when he has the symbiote and one of them is when he doesn't. Okay. I see what you mean. So like when he's do when he's going through the SGC hallucination, that's when Tilk in reality has the symbiote in him. And when he doesn't, that's when he's put the symbiote back in Braytac. Yes, that's what okay. I thought of in my brain of, okay, why? Because I was trying to figure out why are there two hallucinations? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also my question is, though, like, if, if Tilk is consciously moving it back and forth, yet he is hallucinating that much to have two separate realities of when he has it and when he does it how is he able to like come out of it and be like oh it's my turn you know right i imagine the hallucinations are sort when he's in some sort of kelnorim state because he would have to be to survive this situation he would have to put himself into kelnorim because that's when they're sort of like the least amount of stress on his body from I, I think from what we've been we've come to understand it's it's essentially Jaffa sleep it's not really sleep but it's the closest thing to sleep that Jaffa do and when mm -hmm. you're in that state that's when the like the least stress is going on but also when your body starts to repair itself uh if you know anything did happen to your body throughout the day um so and I don't know if you can be like, I'm going to kill Noreen for this long and then, you know, consciously have some sort of like alarm clock, quote unquote, in your head. Or if his body can sense, oh, I'm mostly healed. I'm mostly OK. I can get rid of my symbiote for a little bit. I don't. They didn't really talk about that bit, unfortunately. Mm. Um but I do like your explanation of like which hallucin like what when he's hallucinating which hallucination. Again, well, that's not something they talked about, but that I for me that works. I like that explanation yeah. that you came up with. Well, because then little things start to make um, an interesting amount of sense, right? Daniel comes to him when he's hallucinating about being a human because that's when he doesn't have the symbiote. That's when he's weakest, and that's when Daniel would want to be there for him. Yes. Um, also, that's when. Uh, the situation of him giving Braytek the kidney is happening. Teal'c is preparing to make this sacrifice for his friend. Right. So he's also reconciling that in his mind. And so it's it's interesting to think of, like, of all the things that suddenly kind of make sense about the dream, you know, the, the yes. dream interpretation of it all. Yes. Yeah. I think I think that does help explain some things that, yeah, might be slightly like, why is that happening? And mm -hmm. yes, I like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So this is Martin talked about. This is the one transition he doesn't like because we cut from this sort of like overhead shot of Tilk and Braytac, you know, and Dijva everywhere to like a close up of Shauna in bed with T. And he's like, what he should have done is start is then faded into like an overhead of Shauna and T in bed. But his concern was that. You know, they were fairly high up since Tilk and Braytek are outside versus then having to cut into a bedroom was weird. And I don't, for some reason, he just couldn't figure out a way to make that work well somehow. So, but this is the only transition he wasn't really happy with. So, no, all right. Well, we'll give it to him. I know. It's fine. All the other ones are good enough. I'll let this one slide. Yep. <laughs> Um, okay, so we cut to T and Shauna in bed where he's woken up from a nightmare and he's home already from the kidney donation operation, but 
he doesn't remember. As Shauna talks to him, he does seem to be starting to remember some things, like Jack's the one that brought him home and the surgery went fine. And But then he confesses that he's, he's starting to feel like he's going insane and that when he's there, this is the dream. And he tells her a bit about the dream, about how he's part of some kind of military or underground thing and when he's there they say that the life he's in right now is a dream and he believes them because there's no how could this be real there's no way this could be real and so shauna kisses him and is like is that not feel real (laughs) a little i mean a little cheesy but you know you know chris was writing it and he was just like yeah we're just <laughs> <More smoochy. laughs> just gonna put in a little something for me yeah uh so the next day t goes back to the hospital check in on bray and bray is not doing well his body seems to be rejecting t's kidney they're trying everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen but if he does end up rejecting the kidney, he's ready to go. And he's like, hey, man, you can't do that. You know, you'll be fine. You'll make it through. And, you know, be like, no, positive thinking. Yay. Um, Don't talk that way, man. <laughs> yeah. And Bray's like, why not? I'm not afraid to die. And he's like, well, I am. And I didn't go through all of this just to watch you die. So you're going to make it. It's going to be okay. Um and according to commentary, this was like the first scene that was filmed for this episode. And oh. so this is why it's maybe a little more Tilk and Braytac because Chris and Tony were still trying to figure out how to not be Tilk and Braytac during oh. these scenes. So if things seem a little t- stilted and a little different from the other scenes in this reality, that's why, because this is... Well, you know, it kind of works in that context, too, because, like, this is when shit starts getting real. So this yes. is when they would kind of bleed into yeah, the visions of each other. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't kinda really, it, yeah, it wasn't noticeable for me, but it's just in case it was something that bothered somebody out there, that's why. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So outside the hospital, T's sitting at a picnic table and Daniel shows up and they do that really cool thing of, like, the camera's far away, like, pulling up onto Tilk and the nurse walks by and then as the nurse passes in front of the camera, Daniel's there seemingly Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. Um, So they talk a bit about Bray and like what's going on with T and Daniel knows about his dreams and being part of some kind of military organization and T thinks Shauna told him, but he's like, no, you did. You just don't remember just like you don't remember the operation or heading home afterwards. So Daniel's like, tell me about your dreams. Like, tell me what's going on. So T does, and he includes the fact that he's not a human, that he's something called a Jaffa, and he needs a symbiote to help keep him alive. And Hannah's like, kind of like what a kidney does. <laughs> you know, what? hey. And he's like, so where does Bray fit into the dream? And he's like, which dream? I don't even know what's real anymore. Like, he's finally coming to the I don't know what's going on thing. Um So Daniel then offers another explanation as to perhaps why both situations feel so real that Tilk can't tell the difference between them. Maybe the fact of the matter is neither one of them is real because if you can't tell them apart, maybe there's, you don't speak as you don't belong in either one. (gasps) What? Yes. And then, I love this scene, this little scene. And he, because this, to me, this scene is Daniel. Like, is Daniel Daniel? Like, the real Daniel. Not some mm-hmm. hallucination. This is Daniel talking to his friend Tilk. And I oh, I I don't think Daniel was ever a hallucination, was he? No. He that was going to be my question. Was Daniel ever a hallucination, or was it always, like, Ascended Daniel kind of poking around in his subconscious? Oh, I always assumed it was Ascended Daniel poking around. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. All right. Good, because I kind it was of very Danielly the whole time. Yes, but this is like he's especially Danielly here in yeah. this little moment at the end. Yeah, and he goes, "What do I do?" And Daniel's like, "Hang in there, just a little while longer." And he's as he starts to walk away, he goes, "You can't leave me here like this." And Daniel goes, "I haven't left your side, Tilk, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to. That's a promise." So there was they did talk in the commentary. There's apparently a moment earlier when. Bray was supposed to call him Tilk, but they're like, no, that doesn't work. Let's save it. Cause, and I think this is where it works. I don't think you could have yeah. called him Tilk earlier and not had him just have a complete mental breakdown. 
yeah of that so yeah um so we then see who seems to be jack we're still we're still in like the fireman reality but uh like jack's back kind of come into front of the camera and it puts his hand on tilk's shoulder which we can see because he's got like the beaded bracelet that rick wears as jack and then as the camera pans around we cut to the sgc where we see tilk in his jaffa robes lying on the ramp very injured so we're now in reality like real reality is happening now and janet's there and she just needs to know how long tilk has been without his symbiote but all tilk does is ask after braytac he's alive but they need to know how long he's been without his symbiote because we need to know how bad the situation is and tilk just keeps yelling to stay braytac so finally fraser's like all right just get them get him on a gurney get them both to or1 so Tilk and Braytac can get wheeled out. Hammond then comes in to the gate room and asks about what happened. So the meeting of the rebel Jaffa leaders was a total ambush. There was no meeting. SG-1 found over 100 dead Jaffa who had all had their symbiotes removed except for Tilk. He and Braytac were the only ones still alive, and they believed Tilk was basically trading that one symbiote back and forth between them to keep them alive until SG-1 showed up to save them, which apparently was three days. Three days of this. That's... A long time. So uh, what I didn't pick up on was uh, was the fact that Tilk still had his symbiote. Was that accidental? Did he fight them off? Did Was it on purpose? I mean, part of me wants to say it's on purpose. So Tilk could, because Tilk was the one leading the rebellion. If you leave only him alive, that's going to be like, well, shit. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously they don't know Tilk because that would just be more incentive for Tilk to continue to fight the fight that he's fighting. But, you know, they're cool. They're egomaniacs and kind of dumb in some ways. You know, maybe would hope it would like defeat him enough to then stop this thing that he's doing. Maybe. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically and like the symbiote trading thing was like we, nobody thought you could do that. But apparently you can. And Hammond's like, all right, come to the briefing room in an hour. So uh, really cool city cam shot of the camera operator walking backwards up a spiral staircase, which yeah. is insanely difficult because those cameras are really freaking heavy. Um, so Fraser and Hammond are like walking up to the briefing room and they've managed to stabilize Tilk and Braytag basically by just keeping what Tilk had done going, just trading the symbiote back and forth between them. Uh, Jonas asks about getting another symbiote and Sam's like, that's basically impossible right now. And Hammond does tell everybody that they contacted the Tokra as soon as uh, the SGC got their emergency call and Jacob is on his way. And Jack's like, you know, if this situation should come down to them making a choice and Hammond's like, well, Tilk has already apparently made his choice. So let's hope everybody is able to survive this and they don't actually have to go through with letting Tilk die, I think, is what they're getting they at. Not be good. Yeah, no. No. Braytac would have been so mad, though. Oh, he would bring Tilk back to life just to slap him in the face. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> that scenario where, like, Braytac wakes up and he's like, oh, sorry, Tilk sacrificed himself for you and we all let him do it because, you know, it was honor. Braytac just would have been like, you're all idiots. <laughs> Bye. I'm gone. We're done. Yeah. yeah. Um, cut to Jacob arriving at, at the SGC, and hopefully he's not too late. Uh, we then cut to the infirmary where Jonas enters to check on them, and Tilk is muttering about Shauna, who Fraser tells Jonas is Sean Nock, who was a uh, who was important to Tilk, and she also tells him that when a Jaffa is without a symbiote, his life starts to flash before his eyes and urges Jonas to talk to him. So Jonas does and basically says the same thing to Tilk here that he said as Proby way back at the beginning when T woke up from that nightmare about like, you always made me feel so welcome to this team if there's anything mm. I can do. And then Tilk calls him Proby in response, which is like, Proby? What? So there, he's still he's still not completely out of it, I don't think, yet. Yeah. Um, we then get Jack, Jacob, and Sam coming into the infirmary. Fraser tells them that all three are in critical dis- condition. Yes, that means the symbiote is basically like done. Even if you can heal their physical bodies, she doesn't think the symbiote 
will be able to sustain their life in any sort of normal fashion that a symbiote would normally do. Jonas asks about the hand device, but Jacob has something better. He pulls out a vial, and this is Tritonin. Remember? Remember that? Yeah. I knew Tritonin was going to come back, but I didn't remember how it was introduced. Yeah, it, ca- it, it came back a lot sooner than I like remembered it did for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, it acted as the immune system for the Pangaran people. So why can't it do the same for the Jaffa? And Fraser's like, no, I already thought about that. But Tritonin was designed to work on a human immune system. And Jacob's like, well, the Tok'ra have tweaked it, and now the stuff Ta-da! that Jacob has was designed specifically for use by the Jaffa. Because, you know, one of the ways they've been sort of trying to fight this fight against the Gould is trying to find a way to end the Jaffa dependence on symbiotes. And this Tritonin stuff could be the thing to do that. But um, they haven't tested it. So they're just jumping into the deep end right here. Um, Fraser's hesitant to use it because they'll be as dependent on the Tritonin as they were on the symbiotes. And Jacob's like we'll we're going to keep working on it and we should be able to fix that part of it uh she's also like you know they can't really consent to basically a medical trial because they're unconscious but sam reminds her that tritonin could be the thing that leads to the freedom from the ghoul for all jaffa like that is for sure what tilk and braytak want so hammond's like do it so no more junior for Tilk. That's where, that's that was, where this goes. I thought that was a very interesting button to the scene of, yes. of Jack just being like, interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, Chris kind of acknowledges here, and Martin does too, that maybe the ending of this episode doesn't kind of live up to the rest of what's happened. But Chris was like, you know, writing this, you really understand why sometimes some episodes of TV just seem to end. Because... It's all, it's just a timing issue. Apparently his first script was like 78 some pages and it has to be 42 or 43. So there's a lot of stuff that has to get just cut out for time because TV shows have certain time constraints put on them. So yeah, yeah, which I thought was interesting. Um, So this is also where they talk about, you know, since he's losing Junior, basically Chris wanted to be able to like stop shaving his head and having to like stop having like all the makeup applied all over him all the time and just be like non makeup tilk. So, so I don't really know if that answers your question of like, is that a Jaffa thing or is it a tilk thing? But it's definitely a Chris is sick of it thing. Ah, so that was part of the motivation for writing this episode. So he could like stop having to do all that stuff. That's kind of funny. So, yeah, that was that was part of the motivation here. Anyway, <laughs> that okay, yeah, that's that's a really interesting thing of like, ah, well, as long as he's not a Jaffa anymore, he doesn't have to. Maybe it was supposed to be symbolic of letting go of more of his Jaffa characteristics, but. I don't know. So is it, would you, would you liken it to like a widow finally deciding to stop wearing her wedding ring? Huh. I kind of, I mean, that's not, it's it might not be a perfect analogy, but I think that's close. Of what they were going for. Yeah. It might be more like Victorian widows deciding to stop wearing black. Perhaps yeah. is, is a bit closer. But, um, yes, I would say that's a better way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I was getting for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, losing the symbiote really is his last tie to the Gould and that whole world that he lived in for so long. And, like, that's just, it's, it is, like, 100% done now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, sometime later... Tilk wakes up in the infirmary to see Daniel standing by his bed in the lovely white sweater of Ascension. And Martin does acknowledge that he set this scene up, sort of camera lighting, like all of that stuff, as identical to what happened at the end of Abyss as he could. Like, you know, when Jack wakes up and Daniel's Mm -hmm. there, basically everybody's in the same place as close as they could get it. 
because this is it's this it's it's the same scene. It's the same scene that happened at the end of Abyss, of Abyss, but instead of Jack, it's now Tilk. So, um, yeah. So Daniel's there, and like, no, this this time it isn't a dream. And Daniel just wanted to stop by and make sure Tilk was okay and assure some Bray Tech is fine. He's like, all thanks to you. And Tilk's like, and you. He's like, no, I I didn't do anything. Basically, you know, Tilk did something that should have been impossible but he had the strength of will to do this and Tilk still seems you know a little unsettled by the dreams and everything but Daniel tells him that his mind just did what it needed to do to survive this horrible situation he was in but this right now this is very real and when Tilk wakes up again in the morning everything will be just fine he promised no. Mm, it's very sweet. Cause... It was very sweet. Yeah. So that's the end. Yay. Yay. Okay. Um, so episode titled The Changeling. So you know what a changeling is. Should I explain it to people out there that may not know what changelings are? I did, of course. Uh, yes, because apparently I okay. don't actually know what a changeling is. So okay. educate no, me. You do. You do. So I, a changeling, I got it right. All right. Yeah. So a changeling is a fairy that was believed to have been left in place of a child who was then kidnapped into the fairy realm. Uh, various cultures have their own specific version of how changelings like f- appear physically in our world. Like in Irish myth- Irish mythology, they would appear sickly and not grow in physical size like a normal child would grow. And so it's now thought, though, that the idea of changeling children was a way for people to explain severe medical conditions one might be born with, things like spina bifida or Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, things like that, that lead to non-typical physical features and behaviors. Um, It's also thought that changeling children might have had some kind of autism disorder as they often exhibited odd or compulsive behaviors like counting things because apparently fairies were often described as having a compulsion to count. And that can be a behavior that many people on the autism spectrum demonstrate as a sort of comfort thing. Mm -hmm. So that's where that came from. There's a lot like, I mean, it's all over the world. Everybody has their own specific things. But basically, yeah, a child is taken and replaced by a fairy. And I think here it's more that sort of like not a literal changeling, although Tilk is changing, like he's losing Junior. There's a very significant part of Tilk that is gone now. Right. So is is the Tritonin a changeling for the symbiote? Is that what they're getting at? Well, because... Like, as, as you were describing in the, as what I thought in my head and also the legends you were describing, like, in the cases of a changeling, what gets replaced or, you know, like the, the thing that shows up instead is usually much worse than the original item or person or thing. So that's why I couldn't really figure out what it was supposed to mean in this episode, because it was like, okay, what's what's the bad element here? that is present that's not supposed to be here yeah and i mean i mean in some ways tritonin is worse than the symbiote because a tritonin isn't a symbiote he's not going to have the same healing capabilities he's not going to have the same sort of strength and other positive attributes that the symbiote was able to give him so while he's not going to die which is great he's definitely not the same tilk so maybe well, okay. that's what they're getting at. Maybe. So Tritonin powered Tilk is replacing Symbiote powered Tilk. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um. Apparently nobody else called it the Changeling. So we have some really fun foreign territory titles to go through. Um. All the other countries is- were like, no, we didn't. This no. isn't what this means. <laughs> no. Um. So the French one, I think, is my favorite. They called it the Dream Gate. Because it's like Stargate, but Dream Gate. Like, oh, Dream Gate. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the Italians called it Parallel Lives. Ooh. The Spanish called it Substitution. Oh, okay. In Czech, it was called Dual Reality. Okay. In German, In- was it Joke Loses his Symbiote? <laughs> 
<laughs> it was help from the dream world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it kind of gives it away because you automatically know it's not reality. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, but then I guess French would give it away too because it's dream gate. So there's some um, similar thing. Uh, okay. And then in Hungarian, it was the conversion. Oh, okay. So, well, so everybody we kind of just went to the end. Kind of, yeah. Everybody, right. yeah, was like, here's where this episode's going. Okay. <laughs> yep. So, okay. So, final thoughts. Have I answered your questions? Do we like this episode? I mean, I still love it. What do you think now that we've talked about it and had maybe, hopefully, some of your questions answered? Uh, yes, my questions were answered. This is actually something where we talked about it and I like it more. So I have enjoyed it. Yay! Yay! Yeah, I just, I couldn't reconcile in my head of like, okay, if he's hallucinating twice over, how how have they only shown like one scene where he's actually conscious and moving the symbiote? How does that work? Okay. All right. But, but well. if it's the various hallucinations he's having in his various Kelnorim states, that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. I think we're going to, I think we're going to stick with that for us. Uh, yeah. But what do you guys think? Let us know. Yeah. We'd like to hear from you guys. Uh, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. You can find us on threads and Instagram at SG underscore rewatch. And on Discord, you can check the link in the show notes. And we've been having some fun discussions recently, including are the Tolan descended from the ancients? <gasps> Maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So come join us. Join in the discussions. We'd love to have you there. Uh, or you can send us an email at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com don't forget to rate and review us please and we will see you next time for memento bye